Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, uh, we do touch on something that, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, a little bit on this platform, and uh, that's online education and, you know, where that has been going. Uh, the last year or so has been quite uh, quite a tough time uh, for, for learners who aren't able to go into, into class with each other. Uh, but... Uh, this is where online education has come to the rescue and we've seen a lot of um, online education companies you know coming to the fore and actually growing in value because of you know some of their growing demand but for today what we want to do is to just have a conversation about how do we shift uh, some of the stereotypes that are um, associated with uh, remote learning home education um, and all of those different things because they are still despite where we are there's still a lot of people that are resistant uh, to the whole idea and to help us to unpack what's actually going on and to give us uh, some insight um, we are going to be talking uh, to Louise uh, Skrunvinkel who is a managing director at uh, OptiMy Home and uh, she's just going to be giving us some insights into what's going on in uh, that space. Uh, Louise, greetings to you today. Hi, Madiwa. Thanks for having me. No, no, no. Thank you for, you know, for being with us. Maybe um, you could just start by giving us some insight into um, your your interest where um, online education is coming from and a little bit about Optimi Home. Thanks, Madiwa. So Optimi Home is part of the Optimi Group. We're an educational group. We are owned by PSG. Um, and in the Optimi Home business of our group, we have been doing homeschooling for 19 years. So we've been in the game for a really, really long time before there were pandemics and all sorts of things that sped things up a little bit over the past two years. Um, and our, our homeschooling brand is Impact, so some of your learners might be familiar with it. Uh, and recently we've been, we've seen a massive spike in uptake. We're sitting with 30,000 learners this year who's doing grade R to 12 through us. They're following the CAPS curriculum and that's where our, our interest lies. Okay. Okay. Um, so when it comes to, you know, the so-called stereotypes that we are, we are here to talk about for today, um, what are some of those, you know, that are, that you think are quite important, um, that you are trying to tackle or that you think need a rethink? So, Madiwa, I think homeschooling used to be, prior to 2020, it used to be a strange concept for most families. It used to be this, that stereotype. I was doing an interview the other day. The presenter actually asked me, so are all homeschoolers, do they live with their moms at age 35 um, in the basement with their PlayStation and they have no friends? So that's one of the typical stereotypes where people seem to think um, learners who are doing online schooling at home don't have any friends, friends, they're socially inadequate, they don't develop that part, they don't take part in any extracurricular activities, um, and that it's all just academically focused and they learn weird things at home. And actually, that's not the truth at all. Um, we find that our learners are actually well-developed when it comes to all aspects. Uh, and they do follow a fixed curriculum. So one of the stereotypes as well is what are these people teaching their kids when they're doing online learning at home? Um, we follow a CAPS curriculum. There's various different curriculums that you can follow. You can do Cambridge, you can do the GED. Um, so 
our learners do exactly the same work that you would do in a public or private school in South Africa so they can transition to and from traditioning schooling if they so wish to do so. Um, so I think that's one of the main stereotypes is what academics are these learners taught. And then from a social perspective, it all depends on the families. So what we see is that because it's more individually focused learning, learners get through their schoolwork faster um, and they end up doing a lot more extracurricular activities. And this is where they make a lot of friends and they have that social interaction. So they don't all end up in the basement at 35. They actually have quite holistic developed um, lives out there. Ooh, that sounded weird. <laughs> I'm very interested in the part where you say um, the extracurricular activities, right? Um, how does one go about something like that, firstly? And secondly, if as a parent you're going to invest in uh, a home learning environment plus at the same time uh, be putting your, your child into extracurriculars, one might then ask, why not just send them to school? <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I think there's, yeah, you've asked multiple of questions now in this question. I think there's various reasons. Let's start there. There's various reasons why people pick to school at home and why they pick to do online learning. So the pandemic was one of the main reasons that sparked interest in families who weren't interested before. So what we saw is April... 2020, all parents were forced to homeschool in one form or another. Um, and then a lot of families actually saw that this was a viable option because there's different reasons. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. So your brick-and-mortar traditional school just doesn't work for all learners out there. So what happened last year is some parents actually saw, but hold on, wait a minute, my child is flourishing at home. My child is flourishing using online technologies to learn. They're doing so much better. Um, and that's where a shift started happening. So for these families, because your child does better and they're not necessarily the one who's going to flourish in a classroom with 40 learners, they see a different type of benefit. Then you get the type of family where mom or dad travels a lot for work. And now all of a sudden, as a family, we can travel together and we don't have to go out of school and miss school because we, we all want to stay together. You also get the, the learner who's actually ill and now they're missing a lot of school because they have diabetes and they're in and out of hospital, where when you do online learning, you don't have those interruptions. You don't have interruptions when um, you have to isolate because if you're in contact with someone who's had COVID or anything like that. So I think these various reasons, but I think the main reason that a lot of families are of choosing this option is because it works for the individual child. We have clients where one or two of the children are at home and one or two are in school, in your traditional school. So I think it's very dependent on the child and how they learn and where they flourish. Because you're very, very introverted, shy learner, might shy away from interacting in class, and they might never overcome that. Um, you don't know where they might feel very comfortable in an online schooling type of environment. So I think just going back to the reasons why people pick this, these various different reasons, but it's unique. It's unique to most families. So that's why people would decide to do it. And for some families, it's a cost benefit. Um, 
Online schooling, homeschooling, depending on your provider, are still much more cost-effective than your private schools and most of your public schools in South Africa. It's not. There is a cost involved, and it might be more expensive than your public school who don't charge school fees or who charges a very, very low school fee. But there is a big cost benefit, which then frees parents up to enroll their kids for additional extracurricular activities. So we have a lot of learners who's doing gymnastics and dancing and swimmers and they're at soccer clubs and rugby clubs. I mean, nowadays you can basically do any extracurricular activity privately. Um, and we see a lot of parents in traditional schools are doubling up already because little Mudiwa is going for tennis at the school, but he's also doing private tennis lessons in any case. Um, so I think that's where you find these activities. They're all over, and it's not like the homeschoolers are doing it with homeschoolers. They're doing it with a mix of learners from different schools, um, and they're getting the social interaction. The one thing I'm quite interested to then know, uh, because you did highlight it at the beginning about uh, the about the ones that end up in their basement and all of that stuff, and I do get us, I, I do get that sense that. Uh, <laughs> In, in an online education space, um, there is that ability to take on the extracurriculars. Uh, but if a person is, what's the word I'm looking for? Not all kids like extracurricular activities. Not all kids like to run around and sport, etc. Not all kids, um, not all kids, you know, would like to do certain things. So when it comes to how socially adjusted kids end up being uh, in an online learning environment, um, like how do you, how do you make that happen? You know what I mean? Because I, I do get the sense that uh, the, the extracurriculars are great, but I'm just thinking about the kids that say they don't want to do the extracurricular. Whereas in a school environment, you better do this thing or else, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it depends on the school, right? In, in most school environments, it's it's um, it's supplementary and you can choose if you stay or you, you don't stay. Also, I think what people miss is that in your traditional school environment, you, you might also have someone who ends up in the basement and who doesn't end up making friends. So it's, again, I think it comes back to the individual. Uh, and then something that we're doing next year, we're starting an online school for grade 7 to 11 learners. Something that we're doing is our online school will be like school at home, and we're going to drive a lot of interaction. So cameras will be on. Um, the teacher will engage with everyone. They will engage with each other. We'll force group work. We'll force smaller group activities. That's all happening online. So even though it's not face-to-face -face interaction. These kids do get other types of virtual interaction. And you also have homeschooling families getting together and they'll do, for example, um, a robotics curriculum together. So then it's also forced interaction with other learners and a, a peer group of their age, or they'll do Lego robotics, or they'll do other types of activities. So I think a lot of them, if they're not interested in sport, there's other types, other ways where you can expose them. I just think what parents do need to realize is that the onus will be on you. Um, if your child's not naturally inclined to put themselves out there, 
from an online learning perspective, you are going to have to put in more effort as a parent to assist them and to force them into situations where they will get exposure. I do hear you, but I think there's one more piece that, that I want to explore, but later on. Uh, but for now, I want to maybe take a step back to look at, uh, you know, your business um, in particular. Um, how is it st- uh, How is it set up? Like you said just now, you guys are about to do, you said grade 7 to 11 and all that stuff. So at the moment, you know, how does it work? And, you know, what are some of the trends that you've seen over the past maybe 18 or so months? Yeah, okay. So at the moment, we have an offering for grade all to 12 learners. We It's a homeschooling curriculum. You get, you enroll with us. We register you with Sakai, the exam board for distance learning for grade 10 to 12. So you can actually write your final matric exam, which is the same exams that everyone else writes. You get the same certificate. And what we supply to you if you enrolled is we supply your assessments for the year because that's what you need to do to actually pass. We supply all the material that you would need so you would get a learner guide and a facilitator guide. It's available in printed or electronic format depending on your preference. Um, And the facilitator guide is really a dummy's guide to teaching because in a lot of instances this will be a parent who's teaching the child and they might not be an expert in how to teach a specific subject. So we tell you exactly how to teach that subject to your child in your facilitator guide. Um, and then we also, we have an online learning platform with resources and videos and quizzes and things that, and a structure that guides parents and learner in terms of how to break up the curriculum. So, and we also give you one online lesson a week per subject where our academic team We'll have a broadcasted lesson with all the learners um, and they will go through certain important concepts, give them tips and tricks on how to tackle things. They can ask questions. You can contact our academic team if you need help. And then what a lot of parents do as well for difficult subjects, they enroll the help of a tutor. So not all parents can teach matric maths and science. Um, so then they'll enlist the, the help of a tutor to assist the learner, or if there's a subject that they, the learner needs more assistance in, they'll enlist the help of a tutor. So it's very flexible. It's self-directed learning. So that's our current offering. Next year, we, we're adding an additional offering for those who want to, which is a, an online school offering, and that will only be available for grades 7 to 11 next year with more grades to follow later. And this will be your school at home option. So yeah, we have a team of qualified teachers. You'll be in a class of 30. You'll be with the same learners in every subject and you'll have a dedicated teacher throughout the year, which covers all concepts, takes you through everything. We have fitness sessions built in. So they do a bit of gym at home. Um, and we also have a mental well-being app that we're going to use to track the mental well-being of these learners. Um, and it will give reporting and we have a counselor on board as well to assist as this is something that actually we've seen during the pandemic, not homeschoolers as such, but learners across the world, our teenagers especially, are struggling with mental health issues. The whole impact of the uh, uh, pandemic is weighing on them. Um, so we're also getting a counsellor involved. And I think in a nutshell, that's our offering. The trends we've seen, we ended with 18,000 learners in 2019 and we're sitting on 30,000 learners more. So that's definitely massive growth outside of your normal organic growth. Um, And we're seeing a lot more families where mom or dad is working from home. Um, 
it's working for them. They're liking the idea of online schooling. They want to get more involved. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot more families who are signing up who didn't used to be our traditional clients. Um, just, a, just a quick point of clarity. You said you guys are now on 30,000 or so learners uh, using your platform. Um, wh- where did you say it was in the in 2019? So before yeah. the pandemic, we yeah. had 18,000 learners. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Now uh, th- that's actually that's actually big growth because that's yes, 67% growth. Th- yeah, that's a huge number. That's a huge number. Um, and when it comes to something like that, how have you guys adjusted? Right, because I'm pretty sure that the way you guys were operating before. Uh, COVID-19 is likely not the way you guys are now operating. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what we found pre-COVID, the, the market was quite slow to adopt, adopt technology in education. So for some reason, we had an online platform, but our clients didn't engage with it, with it as much. And when we hosted an online lesson or webinar, people didn't sign up as much as they do now. Where it's almost as if, as if our clients have completely shifted. It's not weird anymore to have a webinar over Zoom where we have a specific academic theme and people dialing in and asking questions. Uh, people are more comfortable accessing online platforms and using the resources on there. People are more comfortable uh, attending online lessons. So we kicked off our online lessons in April 2020 to support our learners because we realized a lot of them might be going to tutors for extra classes and these tutors weren't all operating uh, during the, the hard lockdown. So we kicked that off. And then the online school was the biggest trend um, that we saw coming through. We clients started asking, aren't you going to start an online school soon? So that's what we, we're kicking off next year. We, I, if I had a crystal ball in 2019 before the pandemic, I don't think we would have seen the traction with online schools that we're seeing at the moment. If you, if you open News24, almost every day there's a new institution launching an online school. Um, so that's definitely a new trend. And I think what the pandemic has done, it's fast-tracked everything. People are very conservative when it comes to making decisions around education. I mean, you'll try the newest iPhone. That's not a problem. But when it comes to your child, you don't want to try something just for the sake of it. You're not going to be the early adopter. Um, but what we've seen with the pandemic is just that people became much more comfortable with education and with online learning and with hybrid learning. Um, if you look at most of our traditional schools introduced hybrid learning, so that if you have to isolate or someone is sick or they're not feeling well, they don't come to school. And then the teacher will actually teach them online while she's teaching the class as well. Or they'll have hybrid learning days. So that's the market definitely changed its views on online learning. It's, it was always there hovering in the background. The tools and resources existed, but it wasn't. The uptake was low. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, it makes sense. You know, one of the things that I'm – that I'm sort of appreciating from the way you're talking, uh, it sounds as if there's a there's a distinction between online learning and yes. online school. Yes, there is. Because online learning is, to me, and that this is my definition, online learning, I have an online platform, there's content on the platform. I'm learning online. I'm doing my Udemy course. I do it in my own pace, own time. The content's all there. I work through it in my own time. 
online schooling to me is I have an it's school at home. I have an online teacher that's that's doing going through content with me, schooling me. It's an engagement technique. Uh, so it's I'm taking a face to face classroom and I'm putting it in a virtual classroom. Mm. And that's the main difference. Mm. No, no, it, it makes sense when you when you put it like that. But I think one of the other, you know, interesting bits would be if you are then uh let's say for example you you guys are about to launch this grade 7 to 11 um you know product and then the question then becomes okay after after grade 11 usually uh, people are now trying to go into tertiary institutions um so now it's like what is the what is the best approach and that's actually the reason why i asked the difference between online learning and online school because university is a very funny place You'll find some people go to all the lectures <laughs> and then others never go to any of the lectures at all. They just read whatever material, you know, comes some and some of them pass, some of them don't, but it's like a, it's like a mixed bag, you know? So do you think something like this helps kids to wrap their heads around that? Or do you still think that element of everyone being together, such as the 30-person classes that you were describing, is uh, you know a better approach to prepare them, especially for the tertiary environment? Yeah, so what I can tell you, so currently, we don't have an online school yet. Our current yeah. grade 12 learners will say to us, their transition, they can see with their friends who go to traditional school and they go to tertiary institutions, the transition for them isn't that bad because they're used to doing self-directed learning, learning on their own, exactly what you've, what we've pointed out now. They're used to having to be responsible, submit their tasks on time, do all of that because there's no one prompting them. Where with the online school, there will be more support and more help and more guidance. However, I do think because it's virtual, there will still be that element of, okay, you need to work on your own and we're checking what you're doing, less so than in a classroom. Because you physically, if we have a study section on our timetable in the online school, then the learner has to go through the material on their own and do their work, etc. In a school environment, when you have that section, the teacher's sitting in front of the class and watching that they're doing it. Where in the online school, there's still going to be more responsibility uh, towards the learner to actually go learn on their own and um, then they would have been in a schooling setup because there's not necessarily someone supervising 24 7 what they are doing um and the and the other piece you know when it comes to all of this because uh, at least you you guys are seeing it for yourselves that you know someone who goes from grade 12 to university at least in an online learning sense you know they 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 are they are right um one of the other other pieces is uh how do you guys how do you guys set about the the learning act, act, uh learning aspect of it because i'm thinking of at least with an online learning environment, you learn anytime, do your thing. So now it's like, okay, if we're going to be doing um, actual online school, are you guys going to be keeping the same terms as 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 the rest of the schools? Um, or do you just have learning all throughout? Or because it's an online environment, you guys get to dictate, okay, we're going to have five terms instead of four, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, look, it's very flexible already with our homeschooling, traditional homeschooling learners. We we have a full-term timetable already, especially for grade 10 to 12. They have fixed exam and test periods. It's literally the paper becomes available just before you write and you need to submit it online just after you've written when Vigilator does. So grade 10 to 12 is very strict. It's highly regulated. Um, so we do have set terms in any case and also for those learners to get through their work by the time they're writing tests or exams we do have suggested structures for each subject to tell them what they should be doing on which days of of course they can flip this around if they wanted to they could study from friday to wednesday only in the evenings if they wanted to we that doesn't matter where you write the online school there will be a fixed timetable we're still using the four terms because these learners will be writing their tests and exams on the same days that our current impact learners or writing it. So it will be four terms. Um, we won't be recording our classes, for example, because we want what we've seen on our in our broadcast lessons this year. With the teenagers, as soon as you record it, no one wants to engage. So then they become quiet. They don't want to ask questions. They switch off the cameras. They hide under the table. They don't want to be, they don't want to engage. So for our classes for the online school, we won't be recording it and putting it on our online platform because we want them to participate and engage. We, we, the method of teaching will be very interactive. So if a learner, for example, will miss class, it will more be like a normal school setup and the teacher will work with them to catch up or give them additional things to do. Um, so that, that will be how we, we run it. So no, not five terms, not six terms, not classes in the afternoons. We've also tried that. They don't want to do class in the afternoons. They want to do it in the mornings because they want to go to these sports sessions or art sessions in the afternoons and they're tired. They want to, I don't know what the teenagers do nowadays. Go and watch TV. <laughs> okay, cool. So I, I, that, that, that one makes sense. Um, and also, uh, one of the things that I'm finding that's quite interesting from everything you're talking about is the fact that a lot of it um, is in response to what the what the learners are actually saying, um, you know, from what you can see. Um, when it comes to the trends, uh, what you guys are seeing as Optimi, like uh, which grades um, are, have gravitated more towards maybe not grades, but parents allowing their kids to, you know, come and do that. Is it more the primary school learners or is it more the high school learners? And then coupled with that, the second part of that question will be, um, what do you see kids trying to prepare for? Uh, are people coming to your platform for, I don't know, Cambridge GCI, GCSE, or is it IAB? Is it national school certificate? Yeah. Okay. So um, first question in terms of the learners and the trends and the grades. In terms of homeschooling, so if we take online schooling out of the equation, we saw more growth in our primary school learners. So I don't know if this is because parents were more concerned to send their little ones to school with COVID. It's interesting. It's almost like they more, I don't know if they were more protective over them, um, but we saw massive growth in those grades. I also think these are the grades that parents felt more comfortable teaching themselves. Um, so with the primary school learners, massive growth in, in terms of homeschooling. With the online schooling, we picked grade seven and upwards for a reason. We do believe 
when we learn our lessons next year with the online school, your your high school or higher grade learners will find the transition to full-time online schooling easier than a learner in grade two. Because in grade two, a lot of what you do is I need to bolt this Christmas tree out of cardboard and there's a lot of physical activities um, in the lower grades, which we think will be harder to teach. And you can do it. We, we've done it this year. It's harder to teach that virtually. Um, so we want to start with the higher grades because there we are very confident. We know exactly what the learners need and how to teach them. And the attention span is different in terms of sitting in front of a laptop all day. Uh, so we will go downwards to other grades in future. But for, for next year, we're going to focus on the higher grades for the online schooling, because that's where we're seeing the interest or, or more is when they when it's the higher grades. Then in terms of what the trends of what people are picking, so IEB is also CAPS. So in South Africa, your national senior certificates, that's your grade 12 um, certificate, you either do that through the Department of Basic Education, so that's all our public schools, or you do it through a private school who's registered with the IEB, that's the Independent Exam Board, or you do it through Sakai, which is the Distance Learning Exam Board, um, and they also have a few private schools that, that do matric for them, through them. So your IEB, your your DBE, and your Sakai learners in the end all get the same matric certificate. However, we can have a whole debate in terms of the standard of the different exam boards' papers. Um, so we know IB learners do different types of application in the in the later grades, which is probably a very good preparation for university. Then we have seen uptake in Cambridge. Uh, people who are picking Cambridge curriculums and doing A-levels, but the majority of South Africans are still picking the CAPS curriculum. And I think there's safety in that because if it doesn't work out, you can go back to your brick and mortar school next year. And our South Africa's in our universities in South Africa still all accept our grade 12 certificate. Overseas, our certificate is still accepted at at most universities. So I think we're still at a point where it's safe to do the CAPS curriculum. We don't know how that will change in future. It, it is actually a very good curriculum. It's all just about what is the standard of your final examination. Um, and when it comes to that, uh, it, it's quite interesting, you know, that people still are what do you call this banking on the local qualifications? Because, you know, one would, you know, uh, think that um, you might see some growth on the Cambridge side simply because um, people might say, okay, cool. In an online world, maybe um, getting into a university overseas or wherever uh, might be a bit easier if I use, uh, if I use Cambridge and, you know, just keeping with the, with the online learning model, since a lot more universities are using this, and then you then, you know, stay at your computer, but now be doing something that's like overseas. Yeah. Um, in the interest of time, we've got uh, space for maybe two more questions. Uh, the first one is just around, you know, looking at the macro aspect. It sounds as if you you, you can sort of see a situation where, online learning and this new way of learning, remote learning, whatever we want to call it, um, becomes a standard, it becomes a norm. Uh, but 
if someone was to look at the socioeconomic situation, right, um, a lot of a lot of it, where that's access to internet internet services, access to devices, etc., you know, sort of still hinders uh, that mainstream adoption. So, I don't think brick and mortar schools are going to disappear. I think what's happening now is that online schooling and online learning is becoming a viable option. But I think our traditional schools are here to stay. One of the sad things that came through very clearly in the pandemic is how that inequality in education still exists and that gap actually widened because your your school with resources could go the online learning route. Um, when they had to close down, where your school who had no resources had to physically close and those learners didn't learn for, for months on end or they learned on their own at home but there was no checking in with the teacher because they simply don't have the resources. What online learning actually has the potential to level the playing field, that's the sad thing. So there's actually a massive opportunity here. If the public and private sector team up and we, we get the right partnerships in place, we can actually get to a point where we give our learners in South Africa more equality when it comes to education. Because think about this, you can now have a phenomenal maths teacher and stream that teacher to schools, to a couple of schools around the country. If you get to a point where you can get the right equipment into these schools and equip the learners with the, the right types of devices. So, I think there's a massive opportunity here that we just need to unlock post-pandemic, um, but it will have to be a public and private partnership. Uh, but definitely the pandemic has widened the gap and it's, it's, it's spot, put a spotlight um, on the gap that exists. No, one one really hopes that uh, those public-private partnerships do come to the fore uh, so that we can get a sense of, uh, you know, I guess, leveling that playing field, um, like you said. Um, and then on the last point for us, because we are a business platform, uh, very interested to maybe get a sense of your business model. And then the second bit is, uh, um, are you guys, because... A lot of the online education platforms we talk to um, are sort of running in the in the same sense as startups. So they're out there raising Series A, B, C, D funding and all of that. Uh, but I wanted to check if you guys are also doing the same thing, or do you find that the amounts that are being paid in terms of you know tuition or co- or for courses is that enough to keep the business going, or are you guys raising external funding? No, we, so we're in a position, we've been around for 19 years now, and we already have a PE fund that invested in us in 2012. So PSG invested in, it was then called, um, Impact in, with a K, still spelled with a K in 2012, um, and revamped the whole business. So we, we then went on an acquisition spree and we now have four businesses and a, and a central services uh, division. So from our business model perspective as a group, we have central services where we host our IT functionality, our warehousing, our product development, our finance, HR, legal. Uh, and then we have our business divisions where we host sales and marketing, client service, uh, learning delivery. And then our four businesses are focused on, so my business is focused on home education and supplying educational products, supplementary products at home. 
Then our classroom business supplies products to schools to use in classroom. Our workplace business supplies products to uh, workplace businesses. So that's corporate learning and development. And then we have a college uh, which looks at tertiary education. So that's how our business is run. And our home business is now at a point where we fund uh, innovation ourselves. So we also have a lot of cross um we use a lot of our innovation across the group. So our strength lies in the fact that we can innovate as a group and use products across the board. All right. So that's been us. Uh, we were talking uh, to Louise uh, Skunvinkel, who is uh, Managing Director at Optimi Home, giving us some insight into what they're doing in terms of, uh, you know, remote learning, online learning and all of that. And one of the one of the key things that she was talking about is to say that, you know, if things are structured in the right way and executed in the right way, then the learn then the outcomes, you know, from uh, from an online learning environment can be the same as those that people are getting from school uh, but it does you know put a bit of onus on the parents right because they do have to come in and do a little bit more especially in uh, in the lower grades such as at primary level and then at the same time trying to get kids to do more of the you know curricular uh, extracurricular activities and then the other thing that she was just pointing out um, is the fact that there's been a lot of growth in their business uh, going from 18,000 and just before lockdown to now, you know, catering to about 30,000. And it's, uh, it, I guess it's emblematic of where we are um, as a country and as a world when it comes to uh, the learning outcomes that are out there. And then in the end, just giving us um, some insight into how uh, private sector and public and uh, public entities can come together uh, to make sure that, you know, something that is meant to be a leveler actually becomes a leveler and not something that actually drives an even wider um, wedge between the haves and the have-nots in the country. Louise, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Madiwa. This is Madiwa's Take. Really great conversation with Louise there about the state of uh, online learning um, in South Africa. And I think one of the, you know, most valuable bits because there's always conflation of terms, you know, whether we're going to call it distance learning, remote learning, online learning, uh, online school and all of that. And I think it was really great getting like, um, you know, um, her take on the difference between online learning uh, versus online school. Um, simply to say that one, you know, sort of happens in real time and the other one happens in your own time and um, it's a trend that's likely going to be here um, for for a long time to come I remember back in the day when I went to university we had a bit of a hybrid um, when it came when it came to um, online learning versus um, versus in-class learning and uh, at the time you know it really seemed uh, you know like one of those things that was um, I guess a nice to have to say that if you can't attend lectures you can just go online get the notes maybe get a recording of the lecture you know work your way through that but now it's something that's become um 
quite a necessity um, just because of where we are um, in terms of the pandemic. Uh, right now, there's a new variant that's coming in and not people know what's going to happen with COVID-19. So getting back to a situation where everyone is back to school and it's just, you know, business as usual, that seems, you know, somewhat uh, somewhat unlikely. So seeing that hybrid model, uh, that's likely going to be uh, the way forward for years to come. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.